0: Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hey guys, it's Alana, and you're listening to Seeing Other People Unfiltered. It's Thursday, so that means real-life daters are coming on to share their real, sometimes shocking, and always unfiltered experiences. Think you're alone out there? Think you're the only one whose ex hooked up with your mom or whose last date ended up being a catfish? Think again. Hey guys, it's Lana, and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. We are here with my ex-neighbor turned friend, Karen Longo, aka her new alias, alter ego, mama in the verbs. Karen, welcome to Seeing Other People. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you, and I just want to say I'm really, really proud of you for what you recently started doing, and I hope you realize like the impact that it's already had and, and the impact that it's going to have on so many people.
1: Thanks. That's the goal. Uh, I realized how many people were going through this just because I've been so open about it with friends and acquaintances and like any stranger who will listen. Uh, so it's been great so far.
0: <laughs> that is very relatable. Um, yeah. So we are going to hear all about Karen's fertility journey, her pregnancy journey. Um, she is a mother of a beautiful little cutest boy ever Shay um and I know there's so much more to your story than just that and and just even how you got there is a whole story so we will definitely get into that and I just want to again thank you for coming on here and sharing all of this because it's not talked about nearly enough and it's something that I know so many people do go through and so many people listening now will go through they just don't know it yet so the more we can talk about it the better everyone will be agreed Before we get into it, I want to play our little game here. Where do you draw the line? You guys, this is such a fun game for any date night or hanging out with friends. And so I have different little scenarios here on cards. And the options are red flag, deal breaker, indifferent, or that's me. So we're going to run through some scenarios. Okay. They haven't read a book this year. That's me. (laughs) I will say that used to be me. Now... I think I've read two books this year and I'm very proud of myself, but yes, I would be indifferent if somebody hasn't read a book this year. I would not judge them for it. Got it. They have an emotional support X. Never. Bye.
1: I don't remember the options, but absolutely not.
0: Deal breaker. (laughs) Agreed. I think that is the hardest deal breaker in the world. I don't think there is ever an excuse for an emotional support X. And if someone tries to make excuses, that's fine, but don't date them.
1: Like, I'm sorry. I should be your emotional support, everything. I don't even want you to have an emotional support dog.
0: That's okay. Cause then you benefit from the dog too. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, they have social anxiety. Um, I think
1: that's a deal breaker for me. Uh, I'm, I think I'm, social. Like I have a lot of friends, but when I'm in a room with other people, I rely on, you know, my significant other to go and, you know, have those conversations and then loop me and I'm a little awkward. So we can't have two awkward people in a relationship.
0: I like that explanation. And I think that is very valid where you want to be with somebody who's going to like bring out the social side of you versus yeah. like you both just retreat. For me, it's a, uh, that's me. <laughs> I feel like people are very surprised to hear that. Like I definitely do have social anxiety in group settings. Um, there's a lot of times where I really, really, really feel uncomfortable or I'm really like dreading going to something. Cause I like, can't just like turn it on or it feels like such hard work to connect with people in that setting. Um, so that's me. So. <laughs> Yeah.
1: That does surprise me. You're always on,
0: especially in the elevators of Barclay. But Barkley helps because he doesn't have social anxiety. So that, that fills your point there. Um, They go on more than five first dates a month.
1: Um, I think I'm indifferent. I mean, I appreciate someone who, you know, goes out there and tries to meet people if it's not working out. I don't think five sounds like a lot.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there were definitely times when I was single where I actively wanted to meet somebody, so I went on more than five first dates in a month. Like in a week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a week has seven days. There's a lot you can do there. <laughs> All right, last one. They don't believe in climate change. Okay, bye. Deal breaker. Yeah, op- open your eyes. Like yeah. look around. Deal yeah. like Bananas. <sighs> yep. All right, that was Where Do You Draw the Line, my favorite game. Love it. Let's get into the episode. Okay. Where did your fertility pregnancy journey begin?
1: Okay. So I got married in September of 2020, uh, smack in the middle of COVID. Um, We started trying at that time um, right away on our mini moon. And after a couple months, when I wasn't getting pregnant, I decided to go to a fertility doctor. So before I got married, I always had this irrational fear that I was going to need IVF. And again, zero basis for that fear. I just, you when you hear like, this person's doing it, that person's doing it, you're kind of like, oh my God, what if that's me? And it just sounds like the most stressful thing ever. Um, so when yeah. we were trying for six months and it wasn't working. I was like, you know what? Even if it's just stress that's causing me to not get pregnant, like I'm not going to de-stress, so we need help regardless. Like even if it even if stress is the only thing that's stopping this. Um so we went to a fertility doctor who did a full workup and came back that I had uh, a low AMH. Um so an AMH is it's a blood test and it determines um I guess your ovarian reserve. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I want to preface this whole episode with I I don't actually know. I can't give medical. This is not medical advice, advice just yes, the personal experience. <laughs> um but so my AMH was 0.99 and I say that because for anyone listening who also has low AMH, I know when people say they have low AMH, I'm always like, "Well, what was the number?" Um so it was 0.99. Um I started taking supplements that my doctor recommended at that time. It was just two supplements, CoQ10 and DHEA. And uh, she suggested doing IVF um, and not trying IUI.
0: Can you explain the difference between IVF and IUI? Because I actually don't even know what IUI is.
1: Yeah, sure. So IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. And it's basically, uh, and I'm giving like a very high level overview because there are different ways to do it. I've only ever done a medicated IUI. So that means you're giving yourself injections. It's the same types of injections that you would give yourself for IVF. And what the injections do is they cause you to um, create more follicles uh, and each follicle has an egg in it. Um, So you're getting more follicles and then a day comes when your doctor looks and measures them and she's like, okay, looks like you're going to ovulate. You give yourself a shot. It's called a trigger shot and then you ovulate. And then, um, the husband, or if you're using donor sperm, um, like ejaculates into a cup and then they, it's like a, I guess some sort of syringe where then they just put it into your
0: uterus. This is literally like in the movie, the backup plan.
1: I've never seen it, but sure.
0: Oh my God. You have to. It's like the turkey baser when people say, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's okay. that, but more sterile, I would assume. Um, <laughs> so you, and then it's kind of like you get pregnant naturally, but you just had a little bit of extra help because um, they're making, they're moving the sperm closer to your egg. So it's easier for them to meet. And with Got IUIs, it. you don't get as many follicles as with IVF because then you could have like quadruplets. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what IUI is. So my doctor said, okay, go straight into IVF. Um, so and just to explain what IVF is, it's similar concept. You're giving yourself injections and you're doing the trigger shot, and then you actually uh, go to the hospital and they put you under this like light. It's called twilight anesthesia, mm-hmm. and they go in and they take your eggs out. And then if you're just freezing your eggs, you just freeze them and they go into a freezer. But if you're trying to make embryos, they combine the sperm with the eggs in a Petri dish. And then they call you the next day and they tell you how many fertilized. And then once the eggs fertilized, you have to wait uh, like five to seven days to find out how many grew to make it to the the blastosis stage. So that's how many get to blast. And then after that, a lot of people choose to do genetic testing on the embryo. So for example, if you have the BRCA gene um, or any sort of other genetic mutation, they'll send biopsies of the embryos out. Um, and then they'll call you and let you know how many are normal. And there are there then there's like mosaics where I, I'm I'm definitely not, you know, knowledgeable enough to talk about that. But there there's different layers of like it's normal, it's kind of normal, it's completely abnormal, it's complex, blah, blah, blah.
0: So that's so I mean what happened for you when you did this?
1: So, um, my doctor said to go straight to IVF. So I did an egg retrieval. Um, I got eight eggs, which is not a lot. Um, five of them fertilized, three of them made it to blast. And then only one of them was normal. And I, I got one mosaic, uh, But at the time, there's not a lot of research, so there's still not just at the time, there's still not a lot of research. Every year, they get a little bit more research on the mosaic, um, so that one is not transferable to me right now. Um, Got it. So that one normal was Shay, but because I was, I I knew I wanted more than one kid. I said to my doctor, "Can we try IUI before transferring this embryo?" And she said, "Sure." So we did. So that would that
0: be to save the embryo for? later for another child. Exactly. Got
1: it. So Shay would have been the younger sibling, which is crazy to think about. Um, Yeah. So we did two IUIs and they didn't work. And then at that point I was like a freaking mess. And I was like, all right, we're transferring it. We're not doing another retrieval. I'm not waiting. Also insurance won't cover another retrieval if you already have any embryos frozen. And we can talk about insurance later, but insurance a lot of insurances don't cover anything at all. Like I maxed mine out after Shay. So everything has been out of pocket since then.
0: for me. off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrifol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrifol.com promo code seeing other people. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right. All right. I know that everyone has their hands up and I get it. for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. What was the timeline like? Like, how long did all of this actually take? I know we're saying, like, oh, this is what happened, but... Yeah. And I know we're removed from it now, but I imagine this was over a long period of time, and there was so much involved in getting to this point.
1: Yeah. So great question. Um, I went to the doctor in February and I, I started, I did my first egg retrieval in April because my doctor is so thorough. She found like a lot of other things wrong with me that she wanted to fix first. Not all doctors in my friend's experiences are as thorough as she is, but she found that I had like mercury poisoning from eating too much sushi. I wish I was kidding. I'm not like all these random things I had, you know, she does a biopsy of your uterus before starting. And I had something called chronic endometritis, which is not the same as endometriosis, which a lot of people have. It just means Mm -hmm. like inflammation of the uterus and you have to go on antibiotics to fix it. And I had no symptoms for any of these things. So it's important Mm -hmm. to have a really, really thorough doctor who, you know, will check anything and everything before starting. And I appreciate that she did that. A lot of things that she checked for, I didn't have and I was totally fine, but I'm glad that she at least did. Um, and so- I can't believe you had
0: mercury poisoning and <laughs> had no idea. No, that question. is so crazy to me. Yeah. I'm like, think, oh no, that's I me.
1: Think, <laughs> I think your levels are supposed to be like between zero and 10 and mine was at 21. It was wild, yeah. Oh my God. But then I just stopped eating like- tuna And um, I also had- mercury fillings in my teeth because like when I was little I guess my mom just picked the cheaper option. So I didn't get the like white ones that everybody got. I literally had like silver grills pretty much.
0: Oh my God.
1: So I went and got those removed because I was Googling like why do I have mercury poisoning? And I, I removed them and like replaced them with the white resin and that also helped. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So it took so February it was the first time I went to her but she took two months to just like investigate April, I did my retrieval, and then I could have done a transfer in May, but okay. I wanted to try the two IUI, so I did an IUI in May and an IUI in June, which didn't work, and then I started prepping for a transfer in July, and I transferred to August 1st, and I got pregnant. Wow. Okay. One April. All you need is one, which, you know, I you hear all the time, like, all you need is one, but it's really hard to believe it while you're in it, um, and I mean- my second time around I, I needed more than one <laughs> um yeah. so it's not always the case but for people who are just starting out like and people who have a low egg count or who don't do so well on their retrievals it's super important to realize that really all you need is one like I know it's really discouraging I have friends of friends who have gotten like 36 eggs and I'm like what how <laughs> um but really all you need is one
0: What was it like waiting from the point of the transfer to finding out you were actually pregnant? Like how long was in between and like, were you okay during that time? Cause I'm trying to think of myself when I'm like waiting for something that's essentially out of my control. I am an absolute mess. And so I, I can't fathom, like I will go through this one day in some capacity, whether it is natural or with Medical assessments, yeah, and I just I can't imagine that waiting period.
1: So I am not a good example of how to be chill during that time. So in the fertility world, that's known as the two week wait, and uh, that is because most doctors say, or even not if you're not going through fertility treatments, there's a two week wait in between the time that you ovulate, like if you're taking ovulation trips, and then the time that you would get your positive pregnancy test. Um, I do not do well during that time I aggressively take pregnancy tests and wait for the line to get darker even if it's positive I'm still not like yes I'm pregnant I'm like all right need the line to get darker and darker and darker and darker um and I probably take like 7 a day like first response you're welcome for literally like paying 7 four. a day so I'm truly psychotic I I bought um like the cheap dollar store ones but those aren't as sensitive as first response. So didn't even, didn't even do much (laughs) for
0: me. Okay. As you're taking these seven a day, were they all consistently like positive or was like positive, 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 negative, negative, positive, negative, positive?
1: No. So they're all, so, so for with Shay, they were all positive and they were all getting darker. Um, I did have a chemical pregnancy recently. And with that, it, that's like the worst because you're like waiting for the line to get darker and it just stays the same and then gets lighter um so I told myself I was going to stop taking tests after the chemical I, I don't know if I actually
0: will but you know let's see <laughs> <laughs> it's like an addiction it literally is yeah it's well because you want that it's like constant validation yeah of like okay this could be it, but I'm still afraid. So if it says it's not, then that's going to validate my fear too. But I want it to say yes. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So when, at what point did you decide you were ready to have or try again to have another child?
1: Uh, we've literally been trying since I stopped breastfeeding with Shay, just because I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So I had Shay in April, and then so April, May, June, July, August. So in September, so almost a year, we started trying again for baby number two. Um, so I did a retrieval in October, and that one my medication got messed up, so we had to cancel that one, and we converted it into an IUI just to see, like maybe it'll be like a magical, magical thing. It didn't happen. No magic here. Um, then December I did another retrieval that was really successful. I got three normal embryos, uh, compared to the one that I got when I was doing it with Shay. Um, and my AMH was 0.48 at this time. So that was super low just to give you some context. I think AMH between like two and five is normal for someone my age. I'm 31. And is there a
0: reason that it went down? Cause you said it was like 0.99 before, right? Goes down as you
1: get older. So get my older, ovarian better. reserve just gets like lower and lower, but I think that there's not really studies that actually link, uh, your AMH level with your actual ovarian reserve. Cause there's no way to truly measure your ovarian reserve. I think it's, I think what it is is your AMH levels kind of tell doctors how well you'll respond to IVF. Um, so technically, I would be a poor responder to IVF because I have a low AMH. Got it. So I got three normal embryos, which was amazing. My doctor was like, I don't even know if you'll get one with this with these AMH levels. Um, and... We did it, and then in January, I had something called a hysteroscopy, which is like a surgery, not really a minor procedure where the doctor goes into your uterus, you're under anesthesia, and they just clean out like any fibroids or polyps or like I had a C section scar still in my uterus. So I did that in January to prepare myself. And then in February, I did a transfer and it worked. And I got pregnant with one of the normal embryos from the December cycle. And then in May, it miscarried, but I just like found out that there was no heartbeat. It's okay. It happens to a lot of people. Actually, it's very rare to happen in the second trimester. I think it's in less than 0.5% of pregnancies, my doctor told me, for when there's no reason because the embryo was tested and it was normal, which kind of makes me feel better because the doctor said it's not likely to happen again. Okay. Um, it, it was just like a fluke. Like I did an amnio and it was normal. I did everything and it was like completely normal.
0: And that was like four months in, right? Yeah, four months in.
1: So I, I know, it was crazy. We like told everyone, It's you know how people are like, wait 12 weeks to tell everyone. So we like told people and then at least I didn't post it on social media, right? Um, but I mean, now I did. So I guess it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you would have
0: started your account sooner. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so it sucked and I... I'm not the type of person who can just like sit and cry. Like I, and pe- and doctors kept being like, it's not your fault. There's nothing you could have done. And I'm like, that doesn't make me feel better. Like there's something I can, like, there has to be something that I could do. Cause I want to fix it for next time. So right. I started, I, I bought a book called it starts with the egg. I started um, doing a lot of research. I'm also in a ton of Facebook groups for people with low AMH and Just like people doing IVF all over the world in the city. Like I joined as many groups as possible. And I like look in the search bars on Facebook, like low low AMH or like silent miscarriage or 15-week miscarriage, whatever. I just did a ton of my own research.
0: in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started presently to bring more authenticity to self-help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone, presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know, because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from. And if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to PresentlyBracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y Bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code SEEINGOTHERPEOPLE. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? episode of Dateable, season 15, episode 10. Is it chemistry or anxiety? Guys, this podcast is incredibly relatable, insightful, and oftentimes hilarious. Wherever you start, Dateable will help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. You can subscribe and listen to episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts every Wednesday and Sunday. So check out Dateable and thank me later.
1: Um, I read about a lot of supplements that I thought would help me um, so starting in May, like at the end of May, I started taking all these supplements and ch- I changed my diet. I changed my exercise plan. I changed everything, um, and I started preparing for another egg retrieval in July. And my AMH went up to one point two one, which is actually oh, wow. in the normal range, which like is pretty crazy.
0: Um, my I thought and my- that doesn't just happen like that. Is that was a result of everything you did? Yeah. Wow. I thought my
1: doctor was going to be like, you're amazing. So proud. Like you should be a doctor. And she was just like, cool. Cool.
0: Um, can I ask why you decided to do another egg retrieval if you still had the two embryos left?
1: Yes. So uh, in in this egg retrieval cycle, I decided to do a transfer at the same time. So I would have only had one left. And oh I kind of had this weird feeling that maybe the whole batch was just bad, which is not a thing. Um, and then my mom, they were all girls. And my mom convinced me that maybe like I just can't carry girls. So I was like, I need to just do another retrieval. I did a transfer in the same cycle as the retrieval, which I, I don't think a lot of people do because if you have one frozen, you usually do a frozen embryo transfer. You don't do it in the same cycle as a retrieval. But I did an egg retrieval and then like five days later, a transfer. And that was the chemical pregnancy. So now I only, at this point, I only had one left, but thank God this third retrieval, I got three normal embryos. Um, I forgot to say in the middle of prepping for this last retrieval, my doctor saw that my tubes were messed up. Um, and like you could see them on the ultrasound, which you're not supposed to see your tubes on an ultrasound. So that meant that there was fluid or an infection or something. It's called a hydro pinks. Uh, so she said she wanted me to remove my tube. So I found a surgeon, Kofina's fertility, uh, in the city. I, I, spoke with him. I trusted him. I felt like he would be really good. And I scheduled my uh surgery. So 2 weeks ago, I removed he went in and the way that it works is it's a laparoscopic surgery. They make four incisions, one in your belly button, one on your side and two like basically above my C-section. And they go in and they just like take a look around because you can't really see much from just like an actual ultrasound. And he said, my left tube was like totally, totally messed up. And he took out the whole thing. And then he said, my right tube didn't look great. So he drained it and he clipped it. So it's not connected to my uterus anymore, but it's still connected to my ovary. And then I had endometriosis, which I had no idea. It was just silent endometriosis. So he removed that, and then he saw scarring from my C-section and from this. I had to have a DNE, not a DNC. DNC is if you have a miscarriage like before 12 weeks. If you have a miscarriage after 12 weeks, it's something called a DNE. It's like a little bit of a more intense surgery. So I had to have that in May, and he saw scarring from that. So he removed that. So two weeks ago, I just had this surgery, uh, and now I'm. It takes six weeks to recover. So I'm just in the recovery phase,
0: starting an Instagram oh account. God. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. First and foremost, what, what does that mean? Like removing and disconnecting your tubes? How does that impact what goes on inside your body and your ability to get pregnant?
1: Sure. So I can never get pregnant naturally now, which I couldn't before anyway so i
0: didn't you feel like, that ship has yeah,
1: yeah, i didn't feel strongly about removing it like i always you know wanted an oopsie baby at 45 but it's fine i can live without that <laughs> um, so he removed so so that is what that means uh, it just means that i'll have to do ivf which i was doing anyway so i'm fine with um, the endometriosis i frankly have not done much research if I knew in advance that I had it I probably would have been reading like pages and pages and pages about it now I'm just happy that it's out (laughs) um and that's that and yeah
0: through everything that you've been through because it's it wasn't it doesn't sound like it was just their inability to get pregnant naturally but there were so many things you found out about along the way that you probably had no idea about any of this stuff what do you think was the most difficult part to overcome?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I just think uh, being patient. So I'm the least patient person quite literally on the planet. If I want to do something, I do it in that moment. I cannot wait for things. I go absolutely crazy. And when people say distract yourself, like there's no such thing for me. Like there's no distraction. Like if I want something, it has to happen. So, you know, just being patient has been the hardest part for me. I know, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if you meant like what physically has been the
0: hardest. Um, No, I think that's a perfect answer because I think that's very real. And like I said, like I can't imagine myself getting through like that specific part of it, just like the not knowing and it feeling so out of my control and just having to wait. Like yeah. when it's something you want so badly, like to have a baby, to feel helpless almost yeah, must just be like, the most painful thing.
1: Yeah. It's really hard. Um, it's really, really hard. It's nice To have other people who are going through it because Mm -hmm. as you hear about new things, you know, I kind of like, I have a couple of friends that I'll just text and be like, Have you heard of this? Have you taken this? Like, have you done that? Have you gone there? And it's nice to have people who understand. And even with like medication and dosages and, and things like that, just comparing to what other people are doing is super helpful because I have also found just being on Facebook groups and with friends who have been doing this, that you really have to advocate for yourself because a lot of doctors have like a one size fits all approach. And if that doesn't work, then they'll look into other things. A lot of doctors also don't agree. There's a lot about this that's experimental and not all doctors are willing to try things like that. Like for example, I took prednisone for my first two transfers that worked. I was on it for my sinuses, not like it was not part of my IVF protocol. And I, I know that that helped my transfer. I don't, no doctor has to tell me that it helped. Like I personally know that it helped, but my doctor doesn't believe in, pred, in using prednisone for a transfer. And I literally called her yesterday and I was like, I want prednisone for my next transfer. She's like, well, there's not really science that shows that it works for everyone. It only works for some people. Like it, it sounds like maybe you might be one of those people, like fine, we can try it. But if I didn't do that, then my next cycle would we would not be using prednisone. Like you kind of have to, Read up on a lot of things and figure out what you know about yourself that your doctor might not know just from like your basic workup and figure Mm -hmm. out what might work for you.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you really have to trust your body and tune into what your body is telling you and what you're feeling. Yeah. Did you just go to one fertility doctor or or one OB and say, okay, this doctor is it? Or did you kind of like shop around or get, recommendations from friends how did you find the right doctors
1: I did not want to start at uh, a big clinic where I would be like just like a sardine in a can where you go and you're just like waiting and then it's your turn and they take your blood and you leave so so IVF is really uh I don't know what's the word I'm looking for it's (laughs) busy. So you go to the doctor pretty much every other morning. Uh, once you get towards the end, there's morning monitoring. You have to be there in time to get your blood work. Then you got a call later that day telling you what dosages to do that night. You have to be home for the injection or you could bring it out with you. But you, you, everything, it's a lot of scheduling. It's a lot of coordinating. It's really stressful. So I knew that I wanted a private doctor, a, doctor, a private practice, as opposed to like a big clinic. Uh, from the from the start, just because I had been watching people on Instagram talk about it. So uh, a girl that my husband went to high school with uh, had posted. And I just from knowing her, he said she wouldn't have gone to like a shitty doctor. So I just went, I called her and I just went to her doctor. And I'm so glad I did. Her name is Dr. Maureen Mumji. She is, it's it's her at every appointment. You go to the appointment and it's always her. She's following your case. She is so 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 thorough she will leave no stone unturned my friends at other clinics every time they go it's a different doctor and like they're reading the file but it's just not the same as having someone who is following your case she called i didn't go to her for my surgery because she doesn't do laparoscopic surgeries anymore mm-hmm. so she we decided together on a surgeon she got, like told me what to tell him to do she t- like t- she wanted a d- another biopsy to find out something else so he did that during the procedure. He's going to send her my file. She called me after the surgery twice to find out how it went. Like she is super, super thorough. I call her on a weekend. She answers. I text her. She answers. Like she is absolutely incredible. And I needed that. Like I, I couldn't have, you know, when you call and like an answering machine picks up and you have to wait, I couldn't do that. Um, yeah. So that's how I picked my doctor. Uh, I have friends who ended up at her as well. After going to other clinics without having success, I have a couple of friends who have been trying for like three years at other clinics um, and just switched to my doctor. So I know she's good.
0: (laughs) You mentioned that IVF is very busy with having to go every morning, every other morning, get your blood work, get the phone call later, figure out your dosage, do the shot. Like There's all this stuff that you have to do. How do you do that? when you have a job. Like how do you balance it? Cause it, it literally sounds like a full-time job.
1: Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> um that's a good question. I've always been pretty good at balancing. Like I've always multitasked and had like a million activities like in high school and college. Like I always did a lot at one time. Uh so I kind yeah. of am not a good person to give any like tips on how this was different. But you know, the morning monitoring appointments are between eight and 10 at my clinic. I think they're between seven at nine at most clinics. So I would go there before work. Uh, I would tell, I would tell people at work, you know, I'm out for a doctor's appointment. That's another reason I really wanted to go to her because she's quick. So I would go and I'd get my blood taken and I would leave. Whereas at other places, there's like an hour wait sometimes just to give, just to draw blood. I, My first time when I was doing this with Shay, it was during COVID. So I was working from home. I was really lucky. Uh, But the last couple of cycles, I I was not working from home. So I would go on my way to the office, stop at the doctor, give blood, go to the office, um, leave, go home, do my injection, or bring an injection with me if it was a middle of the day one. I have refrigerators at work for the medication that needs to be refrigerated. So it's kind of just like figuring out what works. and. People have been doing this for a very long time. Doctors' offices have figured out how to be accommodating to people. So luckily, it, it's not as awful as it sounds, but it's just – it's physically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. It's mentally taxing. And I was lucky to have I, – I have such busy work that I can forget about it during the day. Like I go to my doctor's appointment, and then I get to work, and I'm just working all day. And I forget about it until yeah. I go home and do my injection. especially with having a baby – it it just, I remember joking with Brett, like, can you even believe we're doing this again? The first time we did IVF, every single injection was like the entire world, like was over. We would like not go to plans Cause I had to do an injection this time around. I like did one on the way to a football game. Like it just, it just, <laughs> you, you kind of make it work with your life.
0: <laughs> you adapt. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I feel like knowing all of this now, so like we lived in the same building for like two years, pretty much, and it's so crazy. Like you just you never know what someone else is going through. Yeah. All the while, like you had a dog, had a baby, got another dog.
1: <laughs> like yeah. the week of the miscarriage, right before the miscarriage. Oh, I know. I'm
0: glad he was. Thank God we um, got him. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, did you have side effects from the injections? Uh, I did not.
1: Um, I always joke that I must just not be hormonal at all. My friends would always say like, how are you so chill all the time? Like, and I'm not really an anxious person either. And now I'm like, it all makes sense. I don't have any hormones. So as like, as we're like doing the estrogen, I'm like, I, my body clearly like needs this. Now I'm just like normal. Um, but no, I didn't have side effects. I obviously bloated before and after the egg retrievals, which is normal. Um, my skin stayed normal. I didn't get hungrier or tired or anything like that. I also think a lot of things are mind over matter. Like Mm -hmm. I walked the day after my C-section, even though everyone told me it would be impossible. And I went to my friend's wedding like the second week after my C-section, even though everyone told me it would be impossible. So I'm a very big believer in like, if you think it'll be okay, then it'll be okay. And if you think that you won't have side effects then you won't have side effects, The one side effect that I did have, and I don't know what it was from, but it happened all throughout the pregnancy that miscarried was I got really bad vertigo and we have no clue from what, like, I don't know if it was from like an injection or just from hormones from the pregnancy, or if there was just something wrong the entire time that we didn't know about, but I had really, really bad vertigo. Like my parents had to come over and help me if Brett wasn't home to like be able to be a mom. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there anything two part question. I guess looking back, is there anything you would do differently or tell yourself right, you know, when you got married right before you started trying or even before then to either prepare you for all of this or change the way you went about it.
1: Um yes and no. So I wish people talked about this when I was a little bit younger. I wish I froze my eggs when I was younger just because of my diagnosis of having a low AMH. So that's not to say that any everyone should go and freeze their eggs, but I think I think young people should go and at least get their levels checked and talk with their doctors and see if that's something that they should do now. I have a lot of friends right now who are freezing their eggs. And then something that, it's not something that I would change because I'm happy that I did it, but something that I'm really happy that I did was go to a private practice and a, a fertility doctor who really tailors protocols based on you know, your specific needs and, and it is not like a huge clinic that does that one size yeah. fits all approach. So I'm really happy I did that. Um, something that I would tell myself and that I say all the time, I'll look back at pictures now of like trips that we, every time we had a failed cycle, we would just go on a trip, even if it was just a talk. And I look at the pictures and I'm like, I was so sad. And I wish I could just go back and say like, you're going to have Shay, like, it's going to be fine. So now when like all these things are happening that like I had the miscarriage and then I had a chemical and now I'm getting my tubes removed. And I'm like, in two years, like I'm going to be looking back at pictures of myself, like in bed, or like at this podcast. And I'm going to be like, remember when this, like, it's fine. You have like this other baby now. Um, so that is it. it, There's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if only future us could just say like, it's all going to work out. I think we all would find so much peace in that. And even though we can't predict the future, even though we can't have future us say it's all going to work out, like one way or another, it is all going to work out. Yeah, it might not be easy, it might yeah. not be fun, but we have a it crazy will. story.
1: Um, so Tell me. uh, Brett's aunt, like his mom's sister, went to a psychic, like right after I had the miscarriage, and the psychic, and she she had gone because. her, like one of her best friends passed away. So she was like looking for messages from her friend. So she was at the psychic and the psychic said to her, hold on, I keep getting like a baby spirit. Did someone in your life recently like lose a baby? And she's Uh like, yeah, my nephew, um, his wife just had a miscarriage. And he's like, the baby wants to send a message to her earth mom and wants her to know that it's gonna be really, really hard, but like she'll be back and everything will be okay and not to stop trying um, so I'm enough. like going
0: to cry. <laughs> I,
1: I cried. I haven't heard the recording Aww. yet. I I asked her for it. I haven't heard it yet, yeah. but yeah, I cried when I was told. Um, and so now I keep, and I don't even know if I believe in that stuff. I mean, now I definitely do. Cause like what, <laughs> but the, apparently like it was, it was just like, it's going to be really hard. And at the time I'm like, I'm doing another transfer in July and I better be pregnant. Like, what do you mean? It's going to be really hard. And then halfway through my doctor was like you actually have to remove your tubes and I'm like what? You're like, ah, this is it. Yeah. I'm like, this is what she meant. Um but or yeah. this better be
0: what, what she
1: meant. Yeah, this better be it. I literally think about it now. I'm like, and then I'm like, was that hard enough? Like, or is there something else coming up? Yeah. But yeah.
0: What advice do you have? I have a question um from a listener that said, if they had a miscarriage, how did they get through it? I am literally afraid to get pregnant because I'm afraid of the what if I don't know if I'll be able to handle that.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way. Uh, I remember saying to my doctor, I'm fine if you transfer this and it miscarries before 12 weeks. But if it miscarries after 12 weeks, I'm literally going to die. And the doctor was like, there's just no way to know. And here we go. It miscarried after 12 weeks. You, you just can't go into it, you know, fearing the worst because it is so rare. It is so, so rare. I remember I heard... An influencer talking. Someone had said to her, "How do you stay calm like during your pregnancy?" And she's like, "It's so rare." And I just keep reminding myself, like, "I'm not that special." Like, it it just it just it's so rare. And I was like, "I am that special." It did happen to me, Um, but you kind of just get through it one day at a time. I mean, it was horrible, and I cried, and you know, my husband and I got even closer than we were before if that's even possible and I had friends come over with treats and to hang out and it's a really really hard thing to go through but it would be even harder to not try and not have a kid like I am okay with the miscarriage happening what I would not be okay with is not continuing to try
0: and I, I bet it helps having Shay there. Oh, 100%. So I always
1: say, yeah, I always say that I, and this is kind of like what the per, what the person you just said, who said they don't know how they would get through it. But I always say, I don't know how I would get through this without Shay. And then I think about it and I'm like, well, I did, because I did IVF you without did. them before. But it's it always seems so much scarier and harder than it is. And then when you go through it, it's really, 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 really hard. But- You kind of just do it one day at a time and, and it gets easier.
0: Yeah. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you were hoping to share or that you think people would benefit from hearing?
1: I don't think so. I think everybody is so different. And if people are listening and have certain fears or certain questions about like, you know, just the process generally or forums where you could go and, and ask other people questions and they could reach out to me directly. And I'm happy to provide any details or information that people want. I think I know sometimes I'll listen to people tell stories and I'm like, wait, I have such a detailed minute question that other people probably don't even care about, but I care about for myself because <laughs> it relates to me. Um, so I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody has that are more specific.
0: Guys follow at mama in the burbs. Period between each mama, period in, period the, period, verbs, period. No, no, period at the end, no, period at the end, no, period at at the end, no, no, unintended. Yeah, um, before I let you go, my last question for you What is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received or have to give?
1: Um, so. I don't have any good dating advice because I was like <laughs> such an awful dater. I went on my first date with my current husband and I literally snapchatted all my friends from that date saying I'm marrying my date screenshot this for the wedding. And then Shut up. no, I seriously, I'll send you a picture. And then literally from the date. And then I uh, refused to text him first for like six months six like literally months until we were exclusively dating and he and I thought I was being like this super smart like playing the game like hooking him in he's obsessed with me now and then I found out he thought I didn't even like him and he could just dated other people just because like he thought I hated him so I just did it totally wrong um so I have zero dating advice because I am not qualified to provide dating advice
0: marriage advice
1: (laughs) marriage advice um I say, marry your best friend. I think that that is so important. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I was saying, I was asking Brett to come somewhere with me and he's like, like, why do you want me there? I'm like, cause you're my friend. And he was like, what? I'm like your husband. And I'm like, no, I know you're my husband, but you're also my friend. Like, I want you to just be there as my friend. Um, so I think that is my biggest piece of advice. If you don't feel like your husband or a fiance or boyfriend is your best friend Reevaluate evaluate um, because it shouldn't just be about like the romance and the dates and like the flowers it should also be about truly you know having a friendship because when times get really hard you know it's not always flowers and wine and and butterflies <laughs> it's sometimes yeah. really really hard and you want someone who you can ugly cry in front of uh, and it's not drips on their shirt, and they don't care enough about their shirt to get it dirty. That, that's what you want.
0: I love it. And I couldn't agree more. Thank you so, so much again for coming on and being here and, and sharing your story and, and everything you've learned all the way through it. And my heart goes out to you guys. And I hope when this episode comes out, there'll be good news along with it, though the good news won't be public yet. But, <laughs> but maybe. Um, but cross. seriously, Yeah. Fingers crossed. And and thank you so much. And you guys follow mama in the burbs. Even if you're not at the stage where you're trying to get pregnant yet, there's so much to learn that will prepare you. And especially if you have friends going through it, it just helps for them to know that like you care and you want to learn and have questions or, you know, maybe if they're struggling with something and you see a post that Karen posts, you could send it to them. So follow along and yeah. Thank you again so much. Thanks for listening, daters. I hope today's episode made you feel just a little bit less alone out there, no matter what your status might be. Give your finger a break from swiping and hit that follow and review button instead. And if you have any burning questions or want to share your own unfiltered dating stories, reach out to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, keep on seeing other people. Mads, I'm obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OK podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh yeah, that too, Scout, that too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello everyone, I am Mads. And I am Scout. And we are sisters IRL.